What's up, military millionaires? I'm your host, David Bray, and I'm here with my co-host, Alex Felice. And today we are talking to my buddy, Dustin Baldwin, who I met also, uh, our last guest, I met in Park City, and I met Dustin in Park City as well at a GoBundance retreat. And what stuck out to me, uh, amongst other things, was that Dustin's done several different entrepreneurial ventures, but he is still in the Marine Corps Reserve. And so for me, like I talked, we talked to a lot of veterans, we talked to a lot of active duty. There haven't been a whole lot of people that we've had on the show that started and finished and have been in the reserves where he's at 17 and some change uh, years in the Marine Corps Reserve. And in that time has started several different entrepreneurial ventures, built a prison transport company. He's a real estate agent. He has a website to help uh, Airbnb, uh, you know, buying and selling homes. Uh, I'm missing one. Oh, of course. I'm not, I can't be missing one. I got to show the box. He runs uh, smoked fashioned cocktails, which while he's telling his story, I'm going to create one while we're doing this. And, uh, and uh, so he's done a whole lot of different entrepreneurial ventures and, I think that's really cool because, I mean, when I was a recruiter, we used to tell people like, hey, if you want to join the reserves, like if you want to start a business or, or go to school or, or be successful here in your home area, like the Marine Corps Reserve is a great opportunity. And it's just really cool and refreshing to see somebody who actually took that opportunity and ran with it and has had a ton of success. So... Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Vehicle one, you're clear to depart friendly lines. Roger. What's up, guys? Today, I wanted to stop and sponsor my own podcast by myself, which is a little cheesy, to tell you about the course that I'm launching called From Zero to One, Real Estate Investing for Beginners. Now, this is not a course to help you get rich fast. This is not a course to promise you to make a bajillion dollars, but this is the course that will help you get from zero rental properties to one rental property. It is designed to get you through your first purchase. Everything you need to know to get you through that step with support from myself, obviously via email and whatever, so that we can talk and I can help answer some of those questions for you. And it is extremely affordable right now because I'm launching it for only 97 bucks, which given the amount of content in there and the testimonials I got from the people who tested it beforehand, I am super on the low end for that price, but I'm going to probably have to bump it up in a little while but for now to test the waters and see exactly how many people i'm able to help with this i want it to be extremely affordable because i want to help service members and veterans get their feet in the water so if you are interested in learning about rental properties and you just want to learn how to get your first one and then there are some bonus episodes in there to help you advance past that but if you really just want to know everything you need to know to buy your first property without screwing yourself over this is the course for you. Go ahead and check it out. The link will be down below in the show notes and back to your episode. Uh, welcome to the show, Dustin. Thanks guys. Appreciate you having me here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, why don't you give like the five minute overview of like what got you to this point? I mean, you've, you've done several different companies. So what is, what is Dustin's story in a nutshell? And then we're going to dig into some different pieces as we go along. Yeah, hundred percent. So, uh, Dustin Baldwin, I live here in St. Petersburg, Florida with my wife, Jenny and our German shepherd. 
Uh, it's been kind of a crazy ride. Um, let's go back all the way to growing up. Uh, you know, I was born in Connecticut, small town, Torrington moved when I was young to Florida over in Melbourne. Um, got a lot of, uh, did a lot of stuff, um, surfing, diving, fishing, like adrenaline junkie stuff. So when I was in high school, um, you know, the, the Marine Corps recruiter showed up in his fancy blues and started talking about, um, being a pilot and I wanted to be a fighter jet pilot. So I was like, dude, this sounds cool. Um, so signed up, uh, Marine Corps PLC program and David, you're a recruiter. So you're going to love this story. Um, PLC program. I just learned sh uh, shortly after I joined the Marine Corps, you don't need to be in the SMCR the Marine Corps reserves to be in it. So it's, you're going to OCS, um, your junior and senior year of college. So my recruiter somehow convinced me that I should join the reserves as a motor T LVSR operator, 3533. In the meantime, while I wait to go to college to become a fire jet pilot with it's an aviation more package. competitive. Yes. That's exactly what he said. Well, anyways, he hooked me. Um, so off to Fort or off to Paris Island and then off to, uh, you know, I know you've been here, David, Fort Lost in the Woods, Missouri. Yeah. I mean, Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. About an um, hour from where I live now. Where I live is no. much nicer. I would, I don't hang out there, but <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, I'm sure it's great weather up there right now. Um, <laughs> but, <Saint> Petersburg. <laughs> yeah. So uh, fast forwarding a little bit. So get through MOS training, come back, check into the Orlando Reserve Unit in Orlando, Florida, and... CEO's like, Hey guys, we're going to Iraq. So I'm like, at first young PFC, I'm like, Oh shit. Uh, okay, let's do this. So he gave us an opportunity to get out of it. If we didn't want to, cause all the reservists were wanting to go. And I was like, you know what? I signed up for the Marine Corps for a reason. Let's go. So go to Iraq. Didn't even start college yet. That was the plan. Come back, um, start, move back to Melbourne after Iraq, and uh, a great thing about the reserve is that you don't have to stay on active orders. So it was back to the civilian life. I went, um, started college at a, uh, Brevard community college. It's actually Eastern state university now, I think. And then I transferred over to the university of Florida, uh, Gainesville and it's prime Tim Tebow, uh, Aaron Hernandez <laughs> and the sec championship that went on that year. So I was living a great life, man. Um, Gainesville, Florida in the swamp. Uh, won't go into too much details, but we had a good time. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, after my junior year, all the guys I deployed with to Iraq were like, hey, there's an opportunity for us to go to Afghanistan. Well, let's roll. So we all just talked and we're like, all right, let's volunteer for this thing. So we all rolled over to Afghanistan. So I split up my college again, um, went over to Helmand province, did some QRF stuff, um, was, uh, attached to three, five over there. Um, had a blast, no pun intended, mm. came home in one piece and, uh, struggled a little bit. they had us in Orlando. The reserves don't do a great job when you come back from deployment as far as a transition back to being a civilian. So. Um, basically I was in Orlando for six months and it was, uh, on medical, uh, hold where they make sure that you're all good. And they, they give you your active duty TRICARE. Um, so a lot of, uh, 
a lot of craziness. So they put us up in an extended stay hotel, 50 Marines. We all had our deployment money. We got per diem and we only had to show up two hours a day. So put all those pieces together and think about what that was going to do. 50 Marines in Orlando, money, alcohol. Yeah. Anyways. So <laughs> sounds like a great so, time. I don't know yeah, it was, it was a great time, but it was going down the wrong path. So I quickly recognized that signed the waiver. I wasn't physically good with, uh, with, uh, injuries, but I was like, mentally, I got to get the hell out of here because I'm going to pay the price if I don't. So I went back up to Gainesville, finished out senior year, had it in my mind at this point. Like I do not really want to be active duty Marine Corps. I, I gave up on being a pilot after getting kind of beat up in Afghanistan it sucked. Um, but I came to the realization that I liked business. I liked real estate and I liked finance. So I actually majored and minored in real estate and finance. Um, so another bass backwards idea I had in my mind is that I was going to take this fancy degree and go get a corporate job. And I applied to a couple of defense agencies, got a job with Lockheed Martin out of Manassas, Virginia. Uh, and that's just outside of Northern Virginia for anybody that doesn't know it's in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it's actually right by Quantico, um, come to find out. So show up to my first day. And if we need to speed this up, I have a long story, David, Alex. So if we need to speed this up, just cut me off and say, get to the point, but, uh, go there, show up suit and tie, meet Joel, my boss. Cool dude. Guys like, Hey man, welcome. And, tells me everything I'm doing. Basically my job was a financial analyst for top secret submarine programs for Brazil and Spain, a fancy term to say, I told engineers to stop spending so much damn money. So <laughs> I would show up every day, 6am early, uh, clock in, spend my day with V lookups and Excel spreadsheet paranoia and clocked out, went to lunch with my coworkers, heard the drama, heard the complaints, came back to my office, left at 6 PM. And it was just this reoccurring cycle of just, gosh, it, it just was miserable. It really was yeah. every day. Yeah, same shit. D Dustin, isn't the bureaucracy of corporate life similar to the bureaucracy of military life, but without the guns? Yeah. Which made it significantly less cool. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm saying the same thing. We're like, okay, I'll take the, you know, the inefficient, annoying bureaucracy, as long as I get to go travel to cool places and blow stuff up, but without the explosions, like I'm so out of here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not to mention I was making, I think $55,000 and I was living outside of DC, which was not even enough to pay my rent. So I was not having fun. I was broke. And it was freezing because I had the first time I ever lived in snow. So I actually, a buddy of mine, I served in the Marine Corps with, he was a financial advisor with Edward Jones. He's like, Hey man, have you ever heard about the forces program? I'm like, no, tell me more. So he's like, yeah, they'll come, they'll, they'll hire veterans and they'll bring you on and they'll pay for you to get your series 766. And, and then you get your own office. You have an assistant. It's freaking cool. I'm like, okay, that sounds way better than what I'm doing now. So applied, went through it. Picked St. Pete because I had some friends here and moved the hell out of Manassas or Fairfax at the time into sunny St. Petersburg and started that. And I was a financial advisor with Edward Jones. Um, this is kind of where I got into real estate. So VA loan hadn't used it yet. 
I decided St. Pete's a great place to buy a house. And I executed my VA loan on a three bedroom, two bath, got paid $300 to do it. Uh, didn't have to come to the table with any closing money. They paid me a $300 Home Depot gift card at the end of the day. I just had to sign a shit ton of documents to do that. But I, I owned a house. And then I, you know, living in, I rented a room when I was up in Virginia and I rented a room when I was in Gainesville. So I was like, it would be great to be on the other side of the, these room rentals and be the owner collecting the rents. So I house hacked and I rented the other two rooms out and I live for free basically. So one of the guys I rented the room to was another fellow Marine of mine, his buddy. And he was, he came to me one day and he's like, Hey man, you know, I see your work ethic. I see you working late. You know, you're helping all these people out with their finances and their retirement plans and you're great at sales and you're going door to door. You're shaking hands with strangers and we want you to come and do prisoner transport. And I'm like, what prisoner transport? I'm not transporting inmates. He's like, no, no, no. I want you to be business development. Like you're going to come sell for us and, and talk to law enforcement agencies and get them to use our services. I said, all right, tell me more. So he, we set up a lunch with come to find out it's his brother. So it was him, his brother and his mom that were running this company in Orlando. I jumped ship at Edward Jones. I was hey, making Dustin, great money. Yep. How, yeah. How much are you making at Edward Jones? I was making on a salary starting, um, 85 and then you get bonuses on that on top of that. And so, in St. Pete, that money goes a lot farther. Oh yeah, definitely. Yep. Okay. And that, that was just for the first year where they train you, they're paying you $85,000 to essentially get your licenses. And then after that, it was commissioned based on how many clients you bring on. And I was doing really well and I had a great time doing it. It's just something was telling me that I didn't have a wife. I didn't have kids. I didn't have anything. I, I may as well take the risk and jump and do this entrepreneurial thing. And on this startup, um, they were already, they had acquired a company, this prisoner transport company. I think they were doing 300,000 in revenue, maybe a little less when I came on board. There was no, there was barely any employees. Um, so I came on board and I quickly regretted my decision. Um, it got really tough. Like I was going from making a nice salary to now living in Orlando, which I'm not a huge fan of and making $500 a week. Um, I was supposed to be getting paid commissions and I wasn't just because the company was just so tight on cash. They were bootstrapping everything. So nothing against the guys I was partnered with. It was just, they were trying to pay their employees. Um, so it got tight. Things got hard. Um, this is, this is the risk you wanted though, right? This is the, yeah. And then <laughs> this, is, this is the good stuff. Cause this is what people don't understand about all. Oh, Hey, he made all this success. Yeah. They forget this part. Yeah. The hockey yeah. stick is like, is flat and, and, and you're broke for the first three years or whatever the case. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, and, and this is where I always tell people like, don't ever forget the journey. Like the journey is the most important part. Cause you're going to get to the top if you're driven and you're motivated to get there. But the journey is the part that matters, right? Cause that's what makes you. So that was part of my journey and we made it work. I mean, there was some tough times. I bumped some major heads with one of the partners there there was yelling, there was crazy shit that happened. But at the end of the day, I was super grateful. I ended up getting, they gave me ownership in the company based off sweat equity. They didn't need to do that. Um, made me an equal owner. So there was four of us, uh, the older brother, he put me in the executive president role or the executive, uh, director role, I think is what it was, it was a fancy term for president. So I ran all the, 
all the BS in the office, which in prisoner transport, it, it's the bad news office. You're getting lawsuits. You're getting notices that your insurance has lapsed because they found out you transport inmates and they don't want to insure you. It's truck hit a deer, 12 inmates were in the back. They're all going to the hospital with neck pain. It was just, it, it just wasn't a great day. It was much less enjoyable than, Hey, Sheriff Tom, let's go grab a beer at, uh, down, the, down the street. So we can talk to you about your services, which is business development, which I love. So long story into a shorter one with prisoner transport. It worked out great. We ended up merging with a larger company, um, up out of Nashville. I moved up to Nashville briefly move back. I now run VP of uh, business development for that company. And we have a team and we're much larger conglomerate now. Uh, definitely not bootstrapping anymore. Um, we ended up selling that company in an ESOP transaction, employee stock option plan. And we, all of us ended up with a, a note payable to us and um, the employees with the company are still getting ESOP shares. So it was great because it was a little bit of a double dip. Um, and from there, it was, I, I got to move back to St. Pete. I run the VP business development for that company here. And then I it freed up some of my time because I wasn't having to go into the office every day. So I got my real estate license, started working with uh, investors and more so for myself, bought more properties, um, a townhouse in Orlando where I rented it out by the room, a townhouse in Brandon, which is just east of Tampa, where I rent that out by the room. Um, ended up building, acquiring a piece of land and, and getting a CTP loan to build uh, my wife and I's house. And we quickly found out that the neighborhood was better for short-term rentals than it was for trying to start a family. So we moved out of that short-term rental bit, killed it with that 130 gross in that house alone. And we're like, wow, this short-term rental thing, this is amazing. Like we need to transition, get buy more houses and transition our other properties to STRs. So that's what we're in the process of doing now. And um, somewhere in there, I ended up with my being a gator trader with FSU MBA. <laughs> from Did a couple other serial entrepreneur stuff. Uh, started the smoke fashion company that we'll watch David enjoy his drink on in a second. Say, as you're talking and, about it, I'll, I'll do my thing. Yeah. Out. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, man. So that's kind of in a nutshell, um, building out a real estate team here. We're doing development. Actually, I'll back up a little bit. When I did that CTP loan, cheers, brother. I wish I had mine. See the, it's cool. Mine's empty. I need to pour something in it. Oh. Mine would be better. But uh, one of the things actually that got me into development was watching how easy that buy the land and do the build on your lot program with a builder was. So I was like, man, I could just go find a builder that works at cost and I can handle the development part of it and just create equity from the ground up. So that's what I did. So I have a townhouse project in under wrap right now uh, in permitting. And then I have another single family house with the ADU and we're looking at larger multifamily builds, maybe go to a 10 unit next. Um, and then we help manage and source short-term rentals for people. So we stay busy for sure. Uh, I love two things. I love how willing you are to move around. That's something that's really going to knock a lot of people out. And not to say that moving is, um, it's not super hard. It's hard, but it's not, it's not easy. It's not like, you know, it's easier to stay where you are, certainly. Uh, so I love that you were willing to move 
what, four or five times uh, in search of, you know, unknowns, not just like, Hey, I'm going to definitely go get this job. It's going to work out. You're like, Oh, I'm going to go there. It's going to, it didn't work out, move back, move here. I love that because that's a barrier to entry that just knocks a lot of people out. Um, and the second yeah. thing is we definitely have to work on your elevator pitch. <laughs> yeah. It's all over the place. I know I was trying to work on that last night. I'm just like, man, there's just so much stuff. Just messing with you, but, um, okay. Whiskey. What's up with those whiskey thing? That's, you know, all that. I know I love your success, but let's talk about alcohol. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, man. So, uh, last Christmas, my wife got me this thing called a fog hat and I like old fashions. So with old fashions, if you do it right, you want one, you know, the bigger ice cube, the circle or the cube, the fog hat doesn't do that because it's, it goes into the glass. So I like, I could take this. Right. So big ice cube fog hat is actually like, it goes like this where the it's like a T shape. So you can't fit it in because the ice cubes in there. So we, um, I decided that I was going to reinvent this thing and flip it upside down in a different shape, uh, and make it a veteran owned company and use the profits to then donate towards disabled veteran, uh, organizations. And that's kind of what we did. It was meant to be a, just a fun side project that I, I decided to do after getting the Christmas gift and reading 12 months to 1 million, that book. And, uh, which is all about e-commerce stores, by the way, a great book. And at the same time, uh, chief warrant officer that I knew he had just become a, a warrant officer here in St. Pete. He came to me, he wanted to do live edge tables. And we were talking, he's an MBA, I'm an MBA. We're like, dude, we should, we should go and do a business together. He wanted to do live edge, which live edge tables are cool. If you don't know what they are, they're Oak, they, they epoxy them and make beautiful designs. But for me, I just did not have the time to do something that intricate that I couldn't scale. So I said, I love your idea. I think you should do that, but let's do this. And he was sold. So I said, Hey, you handle all the logistics fulfillment, COO, I'll handle everything else, sales, marketing, social media, all that stuff. And we partnered and we've been in business about a year and we're doing really great. And it actually has turned into a, a fairly decent sized company. Nice. That's awesome. Also, um, I see David's drinking one of your things and I don't have one. So, <laughs> you know, pretty salty about that. We'll fix that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love the short-term rental, um, conversion. I, uh, two years ago, two years ago now, I wrote an article for bigger pockets, like, Hey, uh, Airbnbs are super overrated because I saw people underestimating the risk and their, the margins were so big. And within the last two years, I've dramatically changed my position. And I think, I think long-term rentals are, are going to end up going on Airbnb. I think Airbnb will be the platform that everybody uses, um, kind of no matter what. Uh, so I love that you, that you have been, you know, converting those cause I'm doing the same thing. So I think that's a good play. Yeah. You got yeah, a lot that's of awesome. A lot of irons in the fire. Yeah. Yep. A lot. And honestly, I, it, because of the Marine Corps has kind of helped me with that with the discipline and the time management. Um, but back to your point with the STR stuff, man, I, I think long-term rentals, it's hard to make decent cash flow anymore with them because there's so many opportunities for not only short-term rentals, but MTRs as well, monthly term rentals. Because here in Tampa, people are coming here and they're wanting to buy a house, but they don't want to just buy a house I didn't see. And they want to come here and stay for one month, two months. And 
or travel nursing. Travel nursing has blown up with COVID and uh, websites like Furnish Finder are enabling people to throw their house up there furnished for three, four or $5,000 a month. And these travel nurses are getting stipends to pay for it. So they're getting it. So the long-term rental is starting to phase out. I mean, it's not phasing out. It will never phase out, but it's just less desirable than an STR, an MTR, or even a travel nursing contract. Yeah. 10 years ago, if you wanted a three month contract for a house, it was like pulling teeth because, you know, as a, as a, as a property owner, I don't want to have a three month contract from a, from a nobody. And then I have to take a month to turn it. It's just not profitable for me, but with the internet platforms, a lot of the vetting is done. I don't have to so much worry about finding a place because they're going to come to me now, as long as I have my, my property up there and I can, I can have it furnished. So I don't have to worry about somebody coming in and, um, you know, having to move stuff in, move stuff out. And because, you know, I just, I, I think the, it makes the, the, the transactions much easier. So it, the, the platform is definitely going to allow a, a diverse, a more diverse set of usage for property than previously where it's either like, you know, you know, it's long-term rentals or, and that's basically, that's basically what houses were. If you were a property owner, it was long-term rentals. And, you know, some people started house hacking and doing these other things, but I think the platforms and the digital, um, transactions really allow for a lot of diversity in how you can use these properties. Yeah, definitely. I agree. What a, uh, talk your, to me about your drink. drink. Oh, it's great. I'm, I'm a fan. Yeah. So for those of you who can't see, I'm, I'm not going to try to do it again. I was apparently muted while I was talking about it earlier. Uh, you literally just light this on fire and it smokes the drink for you. And then it tastes awesome. So I made a Sazerac, which is uh, like half cognac, half rye, absinthe wash, and some, some bitters and some, uh, what's the sugar water? So simple syrup. And, uh, but you traditionally, you make it with like an orange slice. So I did the orange peel smoked, uh, or, or, or chips. It tastes great. It's awesome. Yeah. I love it. Um, awesome. It's simple. I think it's, I think part of it's the novelty too. Like if I'm going to sit around with friends and like, like you pull this thing out and you're like, here, let me like, that's, that's cool. Um, that's way cooler than like, here's two fingers of Jack. Enjoy. So David's all about <laughs> that ego. He's got to look, he's got to impress people. Hey, well, but let me ask you a question. <laughs> I mean, I'm drinking on my own podcast, so I'm good no matter what. <laughs> I love it. Let me, let, can you explain to me exactly what are you, are you selling alcohol or are you, what are you exactly are you selling? We're selling smoked cocktail kits. So it's the top, it's the smoked fashion top and we have various uh, flavors. So we have orange peel, vanilla, bourbon, maple, apple, cinnamon, and we have smoked coffee. So you can smoke like coffee porters. You can smoke red wines. You can smoke bourbons. People, there's restaurants here that smoke desserts. Um, it's just a great way to infuse some, a little bit of flavor and change the flavor, flavor profile and enhance some different alcoholic beverages. Um, now I wouldn't recommend getting a nice bottle of wine and smoking that, but if you have like a cheap, uh, grocery store bottle of red wine, you want to spice it up a bit, take the apple cinnamon, throw it on, smoke the wine. It totally changes the flavor profile and it's really cool to watch. It looks cool which is really all that matters. Yeah. It makes a great gift too. People have, uh, have bought them up for mostly gifts for like groomsmen and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's perfectly fitting if you're doing a cigar, like you're going to have a lighter like this anyway. So. Um, you're a realtor. Do you give them, 
do you, I don't know if you, if you do transactions for other people, but, uh, it seems like it'd be a good, maybe a housewarming gift, closing gift. Yeah. hundred percent. So we always have to be careful about like, I don't know if somebody drinks or they don't drink. Cause we do work with a lot of clients, mostly out of state clients. So when they come here looking for their short-term rental or their second house, I, I always take them to lunch and be like, Hey, you want a beverage? And they say, no, I'm probably not going to get them one, but sure. But yeah, it's a great housewarming gift. It's great for, uh, we customize them too. Like this whiskey and war stores is actually horse soldier bourbon. They have the urban still house up the road and they, um, put their logo on the front and they sell them in a retail shop. So people can customize the front. We engrave them and it's cool for influencers. It's cool for restaurants, breweries, bourbon, um, distilleries. So, you know, Basil's Hayden actually bought a significant amount from us and they did uh, promotion for some of their bourbon, but yeah, it's just kind of a cool thing. We're, we're talking about white labeling it and maybe just allow people to put whatever they want on the front of it. Um, I haven't made a decision yet on there, but a good idea. As long as, yeah, as long as you can set the infrastructure up to be like almost print on demand. So you didn't have to like worry about it. I think that's a brilliant idea to let people like, not that I have a whiskey company, but if I did, if I had a distillery or whatever, and I was like selling bottles or, or like the local brewery and it's like, Hey, here's this awesome thing that you could buy. Or they, or they use it in the, you know, in, in the establishment rather than, you know, uh, the one place that I've had, cause, cause getting like a smoked cocktail is not the most like common thing. Like it's kind of more of a high class place. And like the one or two places I've ever had it, they like, they smoke the glass, like upside down on something and then they flip it over and then they like pour the drink into the glass. So like doing it where it's like the drink is made and now you just watch the smoke infuse. Like that's cool. It's a lot. I think that's a lot cooler than like, I don't know, an empty glass with smoke in it and then pour <laughs> crap on top of it. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's a fun company for sure. I mean, if you're involved in the alcohol world as a business, like I'm okay getting paid to do anything with alcohol. So, you know, it's, <laughs> Oh yeah. You're, kind of, you're in the best part of the alcohol business where you don't have to have all the licensing. I, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing. Nope. No licensing. We do need to have some liability insurance though, with these torches. Cause these things are this. like, these things are no joke. So, <laughs> and, and then you've got to ship one of these things too, which I'm yes. sure is, I'm sure yeah. shipping the butane is fun. Yeah. Yeah. But to your point, David, like it's great being in this industry. I mean, this weekend we're going to the, uh, beer, bourbon and barbecue festival over in Tampa. And we're just setting up a table and we're just going to smoke cocktails and drink all day and have a good time and write it off. So <laughs> that's, it's good. That's my kind of business right there. Alex, why don't we start that next? Actually, Matt just bought a brewery. So, you know, let's go. Ahead I don't drink this. beer. I, what do you drink? Everything else. <laughs> he's a, he's a seltzer guy. Seltzer. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> I like bourbon. Yeah. Um, you know what? I'm not going to pay Matt anything, so I'll drink whatever he's, whatever I'm going to steal from his brewery. So that, I'll, it'll be fine. Yeah. We got to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm curious. I'm going to change it back to the real estate world. I know we love talking about other stuff as well, but uh, I, I don't think we've ever had anyone on the show who does rent by room. And you're the second person in two days that I've talked to who does rent by room as, and, and not like living in the place 
renting out bedrooms, which I know a few people who've done that. Uh, but I think you're the second person now that I've talked to. Yeah, literally, I talked to someone yesterday who does has multiple where the strategy is to buy a place and rent it by the room. And I'm curious, like what kind of like how you set that up with management, what differs with screening and like managing that, but also kind of what numbers you're seeing, because the numbers he was telling me were nuts. And I'm curious if you're seeing the same thing and I'm missing something that I need to go jump on. Yeah. So I'll clarify about the room by rent. Cause there's, I call it a room by rent because other people call it co-living. So the co-living thing is starting to take over. And uh, I don't know if you were talking to Sam Weger, but he's, he's kind of the guy that runs it with, uh, with go abundance. But yeah, man, he, he's doing much larger scale than me. For me, I have a three bedroom, two house, two bedroom house. Um, I rent the master, let's say 850 a month. I rent the other two rooms, 750 a month. So the cash flow on that before this crazy increase in Tampa that Tampa just saw in the last two years, it was like significantly outperforming what I could get for that house on a monthly, like renting the entire house out that gap closed in the last two years. So now I can rent the entire house on the three bedroom, two bath for about the same price as what I would do for room by rent. And I'll tell you right now, the way I was doing room by rent, which is not the way that a lot of these guys, other guys out there are doing it was a pain in the ass because I'm self-managing. I'm screening these guys, but then you're putting them in a house and they're calling you and saying, Oh dude, Johnny, Johnny used my seasoning or he left the refrigerator dirty. And I'm just like, dude, I'm not a house dad. Like figure that shit out yourself. Um, but some of these other guys, they're buying houses. Daddy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I should be on the, uh, that should be on the lease. No, but, um, some of these other guys I see that have been doing it are buying houses that have bigger square feet. They're having one common area, you're turning the living room into a bedroom and they're building like five, six, seven rooms in a house and they are crushing it with cash flow, um, like to the tune of 55, $6,000 a month in cash flow. Whereas me, I'm doing about 3000. I have one in Orlando that does relatively well. It's on the other side of Valencia community college by UCF. I have two master bedrooms in that. And then two rooms that does really well. Um, that gap has not closed. I cannot rent that town home for, um, anywhere close to what I'd get by the room by rent. Um, and I also can't STR it because it's in a, in a, uh, HOA community. So I'm stuck either keeping it for room by rent or taking a slice on my cash flow by converting it to a family. You know, the cool thing about the room by rent, and then you asked about management. Once you have a good group of guys in there, they become friends and they take care of your property. And there's a level, there's a level of like, I'm not going to mess up the kitchen because everyone else is liable. And on the lease, it says like, if the common areas are liable and nobody fesses up, you're all liable. So they kind of police each other. And if somebody doesn't stops paying rent, it's like, well, what the hell? I'm not paying your utility bill. So you're going to pay your rent. You're going to get out. So it's a lot of self-policing once you get, but the thing is you have to find the good tenants. Um, I've had some crazy situations, um, where it's just, it just seems like it's just, just child's play, man. Like people complaining over the stupidest things. Um, but for the most part, it's been a great experience. I only have three of them. The way I do it is not scalable for me. Um, some of the other guys have created property management groups just to run their co-living and they're doing great with it. Sam's a, a good example of that. Um, but for me, I'm transitioning those rooms, except for the Orlando one and, and the Brandon one, 
HOA communities. Um, but all the, the other properties, the one in St. Pete, we're transitioning to a short-term rental um, as option number one. Option two, if the city or the neighbors get pissed off at us, we're going to transition that into a furnished finder renting to nurses. So that's another thing with short-term rentals. Laws are always changing. And just because it's a short-term rental today and it's legal, doesn't mean it will be tomorrow. So always have a plan B because... <laughs> If you don't, you, that's where, and you're buying it in this market at the top, you're going to get yourself in trouble. So, but hopefully I that think, answers your question about the room by rents. Yeah. yeah. I think definitely because the way that housing is going, I think these laws are going to start opening up more rather than closing down. I think they tried to, to slow it down and realize that they, they can't do that. When Vegas went no Airbnb and then they switched back, they did the same thing with Uber. They're like no more Uber. And then like, okay, fine. You can Uber. Um, so I think, I think the, the trend is inevitable now, but rent by room is illegal in a lot of cities for if like say five people who aren't related living together. Um, they box that out and there's some good reasons for that. Um, but I think that's going to change. So even the people in cities where you're like, Hey, I'm kind of technically breaking the rules. I think, uh, I think with the housing, the shortage, I think those things are going to open, uh, open up. So I was really skeptical. I have a friend in Vegas who does rent by the room. And he had a real lot of trouble with his first house. A lot of trouble. A lot of, a lot like of calls. Like, the, the police are here again. <laughs> yeah. um, oh the God. police are here again. Um, yeah. He had, he was like trying to collect rent from guys in jail. Like it was just, he had a lot of trouble. Oh my gosh. And so, you know, part of it is you get better at things. Right. And then part of it is he started buying better properties. So instead of buying like, I mean, it's in Vegas and he was buying properties that like, you know, you just don't want to go hang out at. And now he's buying places that are really, really nice. Um, and, and that, and that's part of it. Short-term rentals are the same way where, you know, it's not that all short-term rentals crush. You have to get a desirable property in a desirable area. Um, but yeah, I love, I was really he hesitant on both of those things. And now, uh, I was wrong. They're both coming. They both look like they're coming around and going to be really lucrative opportunities. Yeah, definitely. I mean, think about the the rents. Uh, I don't know about where you guys are, but here in Tampa, the rents are just grown so much. And we have a housing problem here. We have an affordable housing problem. And the way around that is now people are, they're renting by the room. They're trying to get on furnished fire. They're just trying anything that they can to stay here because it's a desirable place to be and not get priced out of it. Um, so as I, you know, two years ago, I went to the city of St. Pete and I said, Hey, I want to, I want to develop a co-living I want, it was a three-story co-living place that I had was going to develop plans for. And it was going to be nine bedrooms total, um, one, uh, I think it was two kitchens, and they totally shut it down. They're like, nope, we don't allow co-living. But recently, they've started to loosen up a little bit. And they're like, okay, well, people are saying that there's a major problem here. They can't afford to live here. Workforce is getting pushed out because the people that work in the bars and restaurants can't afford to live here. You see the same thing out West in the, the ski towns too, but now the city's like, okay, we need to change our tune. So they're getting a little bit more like willing to hear about this co-living thing. And the same thing with STRs. I mean, they're making their money. They get the hotel tax. I mean, there are hundreds of STRs operating here in the Tampa Bay area. Technically probably 80 of them are illegal in different areas, but they're also turning a blind eye to it because they're making that money and their neighbors aren't reporting them, but they're starting to relax. And to your point, Alex, I think you're right. It's, it's getting into a direction where you got to allow people to, to be able to afford to live here. Otherwise you're going to continue to bring in 
no offense to Californians and New Yorks, uh, New Yorkers, but that's who's coming here and they're buying properties cash because it's a fifth of what they paid up there or over out West. And they can come here and pay $800,000 cash for a three bedroom, two bath house where nobody else is going to be able to touch it. So it's, it's definitely interesting. There's going to be some massive changes um, long-term with this stuff. And there's, there's already been significant change. Yeah. It's a risk until, you know, it's a risk. And then now it looks like those, those risks are going to pay off the people who are early adopters on, on short-term rentals. Um, you know, it's a, everything is obvious in hindsight. They're like, see, we always knew. And I'm like, yeah, you didn't always knew you didn't always know. But now that the, the, the temperature is definitely changing for in favor for these types of, like you said, it's a, it's a affordable housing problem. And then people are moving away from those condensed cities and they're moving into all these other areas and they're scooping these houses up and they're driving the prices up. And then renters are like, where am I going to live? It's like, you're going to live with roommates. That's where you're going to live. Yep. Exactly. You're going to live with roommates. And so we need to make it, we can't be, you know, we can't be making it to the city. He's going to be like, I can't make it illegal because I have nowhere to, I'm going to kick this guy out. And then he's going to commit a crime. If you give somebody nowhere to live, I mean, they're going to, they're not going <laughs> to, they're, they're not going to go away. They got to do something. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. And I mean, the STR bandwagon is real. Everybody's jumping on that bandwagon. And I, I noticed that there was a need because I'm trying to buy more short-term rental properties, but where do you find them? Is there anywhere to go right now where you can buy a turnkey furnished operating Airbnb property? There's a couple of websites. They're not great. Um, so that's one of the things behind BNB buy, sell company I'm developing to help buyers and sellers connect and sell a, a piece of real estate as a business, just like biz buy sell is a thing. Well, BNB buy sell is kind of the same principle because after it's furnished and it's cash flowing and somebody wants to sell it, there's someone on this end that wants to buy it. Well, you connect them together and you sell it as a business and it makes a lot of sense. So that's one of the things I'm trying to do um, very early stages of that, but we're building how you, out. How do you do valuations on that? Are you going to, is it going to be like an income-based appraisal more like a multifamily because i mean i mean obviously a well-oiled airbnb theoretically on an income model is worth more than a single family house but it wouldn't appraise as more than a single family house through traditional selling so i'm curious like if you guys are trying to do something different than that or so uh, there's there's companies out there that get into the valuation of these product these properties for right now, I'm not saying that we won't do this, but for right now, my goal is to connect buyers with subject matter experts in their market. So I don't know what the zoning is in San Diego, California, but I'm going to connect somebody with a realtor in San Diego, California, who intricately knows those laws and knows the, what the going nightly rate is and knows exactly what that ROI should be based on what they're paying for the property. Um, so right now it's more of a referral company, we're going to connect people together. Um, like but eventually we may get into the valuation of properties, but you know, Zillow did that didn't work out great for them. So I, and this is a business just like biz buy sell. They just connect businesses with business brokers. Biz buy sell doesn't value the company. So we have the kind of same business model where we're just going to connect people together. And right now I'm in the process of building out um, contacts all over the U S and eventually internationally that have these hot markets like Destin or Gatlinburg or, uh, the Poconos or anywhere. And they're going to be the go-to guy or, or girl that gets these buyers or listings that come up in these areas. 
and we'll work together and, and they'll know that market inside and out and they'll be able to help the buyers instead of the buyer sitting there on Zillow trying to figure out what can be an STR and what can't, they'll know the answers because they'll be set up with an MLS search that gives them properties that are only zoned legal STR. So that's the idea. I think when lending catches up to STR, then you'll see home valuations really start changing because then the appraisals will, the, the appraisers are going to lag latest, but when more things are on short-term rentals and there's a, there's a more uh, robust lending, you know, product yep. in the market. And they're like, okay, we know what that thing's worth because we know it's going to make X. Um, and I, I don't think that's going to take too long, but banks, you know, I was a banker for a long time. They're going to move a little slow because they're like, you know what? We're making money. We don't need to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to make sure. <laughs> yeah, It's an interesting like pitfall for Airbnb that like prime example, the upstairs unit is currently got a guest here right now. I'm Airbnb being uh, the top of this house and that makes more probably. I think I could rent it long-term like 1800 and short-term it's 25 to 3000 a month right now. And it's only like, I had it listed for like two, three months. So hopefully that picks up, but you know, so it's making more money, but when I go to refinance this house, like I can't use that income because I don't have two years of tax returns proving that I'm making that income. So it's like this weird, like once it all catches up, I think it's going to be, I mean, it'll be a game changer once somebody's willing to appraise differently and lend on it. Uh, And right now it's, kind of strange because like you've got this amazing it, it's almost like nobody will ever sell an airbnb right now because it cash flows so well and selling it you won't benefit from how much it's generating you think that but there's people that that do need to sell my wife and i just sold one of our turnkey airbnb properties we kind of regret it because the market's still kind of going up but it was the right decision because we sold it to this awesome family out of chicago um, that we're actually a guest and they're like, Hey, we would love to own a house here. Well, buy Airbnb property turnkey. So we sold it to them hundred thousand dollars, about a hundred thousand dollars more than what it appraised, what it would have appraised at. Um, I mean, now it's worth way more, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's certainly an interesting model. And there are lenders right now that lend on this. It's called the DSCR lenders, that service coverage ratio. And we're, one of the things is we're going to try to partner with those guys too, that, so someone wouldn't need to have necessarily have income to buy a house like this. They could just say, Hey, here's my property. This is what the cash flow does. Give me a loan. They wouldn't need a down payment. It's not like a VA loan. It would be great if you could do a VA loan on a DSCR. <laughs> uh, hey, maybe, maybe we'll get to that one day, but, uh, but yeah. The, the downside with a DSCR loan is, you know, it's not a 30 year, uh, it's not a 30 year fixed backed by essentially the government. So uh, the banks gonna have to take that risk, and now you you're you're into real commercial lending essentially, which is perfectly fine. But at higher rates and you know five or ten year balloons, and these are all very standard things. And that, that's perfectly fine. Um, you're gonna knock out a lot of the low margin operators, maybe in a place like Orlando. And if you're an early adopter, that that's great. But as the market becomes more saturated and the margins, I think you know become more equilibrium. You know, we know how this is going to go. If you're making 30 or 40% return on investment, there's going to be more people that come in and compete because they're, they'll be happy with 20 or 15 or eight. Um, and so as those margins come out, then I think the worry is, um, do the, if a bank's sitting, going to hold these funds and they're going to lend, they're going to hold this, this accounts receivable and they're going to hold um, this, this debt service for five years. And it's a tight, it's a, 
it's a tight margin property on a field that's becoming more saturated and, and coming to equilibrium. Um, will it cash flow after those five years? And so I think that's probably the risk that the bank is looking at where they're like, look, this thing's blowing up and it obviously has money in it, but where's it going to, if I hold this debt service for 10 years, where's that money going to be? Is this thing going to really cash flow? Um, when the Airbnb saturation in, you know, whatever big market triples or quadruples over the next 10 years, or, or is this thing going to start going negative? Because here's the deal. Not everybody's going to run these to a high degree. I'm already seeing it in little old Fayetteville people who just like, you know, did the bare minimum, threw them up and we're making money. Now it's like, now you're competing against people who are actually trying and they're designing these places really nicely. And they're providing a high level service. And like, mm -hmm. you're just competing against, you're competing for that front page and the front page is only whatever it is, 10 properties. So, um, again, this is just my, I'm not trying to be negative. This is just my, my banker talk where I'm like, here's all the risks. So I, <laughs> I there's definitely some, it's definitely a problem that somebody's going to solve. Um, it's, but the, the, the obstacle is it's easier to play. It's easier for a bank to just say, Hey, look, let's wait another five years before we develop something super robust that we can roll out to everybody. But in the meantime, all that said, in the meantime, the, the asset based, um, income lenders are a great option, especially for an area that appreciates. It's not the areas that, that appreciate that I'm super worried about. It's the areas that don't appreciate where you're kind of maxed out, maybe not maxed out, but close and you're running a tight margin. And it's like, now if you don't provide a high end service, you might get out competed and now you can't make debt service. Yeah. I agree with all that. And, uh, you're, there is such a bandwagon on Airbnbs and like Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge. They're just totally saturating that market. And, and investor A is now, you know, he was making 850 a night. Now he's getting competed with investor B that just bought a house and is new and they're going to list it at 450. So now all of a sudden it's just bringing these prices down and now the returns are going down and now it's totally saturated. So I agree with you hundred percent and the DSCR loans aren't for everybody for sure. But, um, the, the thing that is interesting is larger houses like that, that house more people are going to be a lot more resilient to this than the small, like two bedroom, one bass or three bedroom, two bass. If you can house like 10, 12, 15 people, you can get a nice nightly rate. And not a lot of people can afford that nice of an Airbnb, but yeah, uh, Alex, I agree with you. It's, it's certainly it, that wave is gonna, is gonna come, uh, it's gonna settle down eventually. So it's interesting to hear you say that because everybody I know, I, I, I don't want to use that term. I don't want to say everybody. Um, <laughs> it seems very common that people are going and this matters for area. My, my Carolina beach friends are all buying like the smallest houses they can get because they're like, look, we, the people come for the beach. They don't come for the place. So they'll pay the high rate for a roof. Even if the roof is only 600 square foot, it doesn't make any sense for us to buy an 1800 square foot house. And especially on the beach, it costs us nine times. It's, you know, it's well over a million bucks. I can't make my money. But if I buy a little shack, um, I literally stayed on a pot of land that somebody took a 10 by 20 Lowe's shack and made it and plumbed it and made it an Airbnb. And they charged me $500 a night. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and it. it was fine. Also, fuck that. So, <laughs> I, the Airbnb upstairs is a 10 to 12, right? It's a four bed, two and a half bath upstairs with a couch and a pullout. Um, and it's interesting because when I, set it up really it was just like well this is a big house i guess we'll do this but it's cool because like what i'm getting right now like the guys who are upstairs it's a crew it's four construction dudes 
who would have had to get four separate hotel rooms. And so while upstairs is, you know, while it's almost 200 bucks a night or 179 a night or whatever is expensive for this area, it's way cheaper than four hotel rooms. Right. And they don't want to live, they don't want to have their own room. So I'm getting a lot of like work or uh, like friends coming into town or like the one that I've got next week is like, a family from Kansas city who's meeting their son that's coming in from Oklahoma, who was like multiple families. And it, it, it really makes sense in that space. And I think that kind of, I feel like that makes it a little bit more recession resistant for me. Cause it's like, it's literally a quarter, a third of the price for them to stay in my house. than it is for them to go to a hotel. So they don't have any other option. Whereas, but then again, I'm not a tourist market. So I'm not like, there's not like a huge attraction here. So I wouldn't do well with like some high end, whatever because they're just coming in for work or to see people they're not nobody's coming into springfield missouri for the beach so yeah i wonder how hotels are going to compete because i it's uh, if they start to really drown then everything i said could be completely wrong and the market share might be way 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 bigger because hotels might go the way of the taxi cab yeah that's true um or they'll just have to significantly cut their margins which they have a heck of a lot more operating costs than somebody running a single family house. So yeah, they might not be able to, especially in smaller towns In big towns, Orlando, where they can, they're near amenities. They might, they might be fine, but I do wonder, I, I don't know what's going to happen. It's a really interesting time. It's a really good. Uh, what's Sun Tzu say in the midst of chaos, there also lies opportunity. Mm-hmm. A lot of chaos right now, which and we got a Mr. Dustin over there building the shovel to sell the gold miners. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's a lot of room to run still for STRs. There's way more demand for people traveling than there is actually housing available. So that's why we still have these these high rental rates, like nightly rates in these areas. However, like to your point, Alex, as more people get into it, that's gonna there's gonna be an equilibrium and it will settle down for sure. Um, but that's why I tell our investors I, and our buyers of these, I say, listen, make sure that you have a backup plan. You have a plan B and a plan C for this house. Because if you get into this, and somehow something happens with STRs where you're not making that, that sexy rate anymore. You need to be able to pivot and do nursing. You need to be able to pivot, do room by rent or rent by room, or it needs to make sense as a long-term rental worst case scenario. Cause otherwise you don't want to be losing money on this property and you definitely don't want to miss your mortgage payment. So make sure that you stress tech that stress test the heck out of it. And I make sure that they do. And, and most of our people, um, they certainly do a great job with that. So uh, and that's one of the things I'd say with anybody listening is just make sure that you have a plan B and C just because, you know, the last three years of the economy has been really great. Right. So the music is going to stop one day. I'm not going to say it's going to be another 2008, but it will certainly slow down. So we just need to make sure that that we're all prepared for it and we're ready to, to weather that because it's not always going to be 35% growth <laughs> year over year um, is what we're seeing in rents here. But yeah, well, <laughs> unless inflation keeps going crazy and then it will be, True. but it won't be. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, people another are... 35% return and my money's worth a third of what it was. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's net worth just goes down. <laughs> people are very competent right now. And they, it's interesting because now I, I talk to so many people that are younger um, and they just, they've only seen this, you know, this 12 year 14 year gangbusters bull market. Um, but yeah, uh, 
It's it'll be interesting to see. I do think there's a lot of runway left. <clears throat> I think the risk, the unknown, the unknown inherently is risk. I don't know what it, you don't know what it's going to look like. I think what people, the mistake that some people are making with these short-term rentals is they're loading up on debt. Mm-hmm. And so I love debt. I love debt on long-term rentals because you're like, look, it's fixed. And then the income is basically fixed. We know how this is going to go with the short-term rentals. You got a business now and you have, um, you have variable costs and you have an unknown and, and ever-changing you know, new market. And so to load that up with a bunch of debt is, um, I think it's an unnecessary risk. Um, you know, it might work out, but that's what risk is, right? It doesn't mean you're gonna, it doesn't mean it's not gonna work out. It's just one of those things where it's like, do you really wanna um, go off leverage to the hilt on a property um, that might not you know, be in an area that grows um, like you hope or think, and then you have an, uh, a market, an industry that, you know, it obviously comes with some unknowns. Other than that, I think there's, a, I do agree with you. There's a long runway for short-term rentals and, you know, a lot of people are going to succeed, uh, but there's some unknowns. There's some, definitely some unknowns. Yeah, it definitely. Uh, I feel like short-term rentals for the most part, I mean, obviously it's going to depend on what niche, what, what size property, what type of property, what location, but I don't feel like they're as recession resistant as long-term rentals in, in a lot of ways, right? Like in my market where it's super, super, super affordable, my tenants are going to be able to pay their rent. Like there's not like an issue, but if my entire business model is built on like a beach vacation home, like if, if the thing comes tumbling down, I would be more worried about the beach vacation home than I would be like the long-term tenant. But yeah, no, hundred percent. That's where that plan B comes in. And one of the things that COVID did for us too, was, is it created a lot of traveling work at workforce where people just are tired of their houses and they want to go work from Tampa. They want to go work from San Diego. They want to go work from wherever you name it for a couple of days, just to get to, or for a couple of months, just to go experience something different. And I've seen massive demand with the monthly term stuff too, but I think the important thing is, is underwrite the house as a long-term rental first, make sure that it makes sense as a long-term rental, then check it out as a rent by room. If you're, if you have the mental capacity to do that, not a lot of people do. And then look at it, nurse traveling nurses and monthly term furnished rental, and then look at it as a short-term rental. Like you're going backwards, right? So worst case scenario, does this make sense as a long-term rental? And if it does, all the rest of the stuff is just cherry on top. It's just, icing on the cake. So that's what we tell uh, the investors we work with. And uh, it's, it just gives you peace of mind because it protects you in case the, the uh, traveling and the, the economy slows down, people are going to stop traveling. Um, I, I don't think that people will stop traveling to get out of their cities and just, you know, the, the digital, um, what do you call it? Digital nomads. There's so many of them now. So they're just always traveling. Um, but yeah, I certainly risk just need to protect yourself and hedge against it. Yeah. Also, I think there's going to be a giant economic demographic shift. So, you know, the people who are going to continue to travel, travel is going to travel and digital nomads are going to increase, but I think it's going to be towards, you know, more affluent clients. And so if you have nicer properties, um, you're going to actually do better. Whereas if you have lower end properties, you're probably going to feel a little bit more of that, that risk, which is interesting. Yep. Yeah. Dustin, what are we missing? What did we not cover? Um, I think that's about everything, man. I mean, I, obviously a lot of irons in the fire. Uh, I like it. 
That's my style. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're just, we're building out a real estate mentorship program. Um, I would just say that if anybody's interested in, in working or having a mentor, uh, in the real estate realm, as far as real tour, the thought thing about getting a real estate license, feel free to reach out. Um, but yeah, man, I think that's about everything <laughs> other than me needing to work on my elevator pitch. Cause it is all over the place. So sorry about that. <laughs> oh, I, fair, love that. I love that. I love that. I love that he brought that up. That means that was stewing in the back of his head for the last ah, 25 minutes. That's a dig because he didn't get a smoke fashion kit. Oh, man. <laughs> that's the real estate that I invest in. I invest in the neuroticism. Let you dwell on my little comments, my little digs. <laughs> oh, man. That's oh, funny. my goodness. Um, <laughs> well, Dustin, thanks for joining us today. This has been fun. So it, it's always cool to me to bring on different people and hear their stories, but it's fun for me when it's like, oh, I'm doing this and this and this and this. And we can like just talk about different facets of different organizations or ventures because uh, real estate's great, but there's only so much you can talk about with just real estate. So it, it's been cool. Mm -hmm. I mean, we did definitely talk about short term and rent by room a lot, but uh, you know, I also enjoy the excuse to drink whiskey on a podcast. So um, <laughs> yeah, there's that. So uh, where can people get a hold of you if they want to reach out? Yeah, definitely. So um, realestatedustin at gmail.com is for pretty much anything real estate related. It's pretty self-explanatory. And then if you just want to connect on Instagram, it's Dustin underscore Joseph, uh, or you just type in Dustin Baldwin, look for that username. Um, and then if people are interested in investing or selling or even partnering, if they're an agent or not, or want to be an agent and then their local market, they think they're a subject matter expert, they can go to bnbbuysell.com and sign up as either a buyer, a seller, or a partner. Uh, and I'll get back to somebody pretty quick on that. Um, but yeah, uh, again, I'm one of the most satisfying things in, in life is helping other people grow. It's I've always looked up to people and I've always remembered to look down and, and put that hand out. So if anybody wants to reach out or, or just jump on a call, I'm an open book. I love helping um, military. I love helping anybody. So uh, yeah, I would love to connect. Absolutely, brother. Dude, it was yeah, great man. to meet you. Yeah, it was great meeting you guys. What a pleasure to be on the show. I mean, I, I was thinking about like, how can I gear this towards all military guys? But um, obviously, I think it went well. And obviously, yeah. it wouldn't be a military podcast without some bourbon. So it's <laughs> true. I see yours on the back there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I might pour some after this. But yeah, guys, pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be on the show. It was, uh, it was a great talk. Absolutely, brother. Anytime at all. Cool. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from military to millionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.